I'd like for you to open the book of Luke chapter 10, the last few verses of Luke chapter 10. If I were some sort of a professor and I had a classroom of future preachers and I was instructing them on what sermons they should have in their box of sermons, some essential sermons, necessary sermons, the first one would be you must be born again. You go nowhere without that. And the second one is the one I would have for you today out of this particular book because of its essentialness also, necessary. There's just a lot of things that we're going to read today, but one thing that we read in particular just stands out. And this message is not new, but it's necessary. It's vital and it's important to God's people. Listen, we can be sermon tasters our whole life. We can assemble ourselves, we belong to such and such a church, a good church, they preach the word. And if we're not careful, we can spend our whole religious life attending two meetings a week or maybe three a Sunday night. And we can learn a lot about people in the Bible. We can learn a lot about stories and events and conclusions and see some things. And we can go through our life being sermon tasters and not really seeing what was this all about? How does this apply to my life? What am I supposed to see and learn from what I hear? Because if I don't live it, it did me no good to hear it. But if I hear it, I best give the more earnest heed to the things that I have heard. Because the devil is always walking about trying to snatch away what was sown in your heart. And he can do that, and so are the seed says that. The word is a prize. It's a precious thing to have. There's very few people in the world who covet the word of God, who really want to hear it, who read it, who study it as though this is the way God talks. I mean, I hear an audible voice outside, but when I hear this, there's this word on the inside of me speaking to me. And I really, really need that. So let's read Luke chapter 10 at the last few verses there. Verse 38 through the end of the chapter. Now it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard the word. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone Bid her, therefore, that she come and help me. Can you imagine stopping the sermon to say that? Could you? Can you imagine Jesus teaching and she comes in the room with this complaint? Hey, shh, I want to talk. Tell that girl to go in there and help me. Now, that's the way we'd say it, but that's not the way the Bible would describe it. But he said, Jesus said to her, verse 41, Martha, Martha, I knew not that thou were alone doing all this work by thyself. Mary, thou art shameful. Go to the kitchen. <laughs> I didn't say that, did he? Martha, Martha, you are so careful and so troubled about so much. Now, he said about Mary, Mary, one thing is needful. This is what the message is about. One thing is needful. Now, if Jesus said one thing, one particular thing of all the many things that we note, if he said one thing is needful, then it's a big deal. It's a big deal. One thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Huh. Now, what Mary was getting and what Mary would have after she got it would be eternal everlasting, and would never depart from her. I like that. It's like Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And when his word lodges itself in your heart, and it becomes not an academic, I heard that word, I can understand it, but an abiding word, a living, life-controlling word, it's eternal. It stays there forever. It's not going anywhere. It's what guides you through life and keeps you safe and so forth. And I want to talk about that today. 
Verse 42, again, one thing is necessary. The Montgomery translation said, and I don't promote translations, but he said, only one thing is necessary. Only one thing is necessary. That's why I made the remark about every preacher has to get this. This is something you have to get yourself because you can't impart it to other people if you don't have it yourself. So this message is of choices about the choices that two women made. And you can make a lot of this. Commentators do. Martha, for example, was the conscientious servant. Hospitable was concerned about other people's needs. These are good traits. This is what everybody would like to be known by. I care about you. I care about how well you're doing. You're in my house. I want you to be comfortable. I want you to know that I'm trying to make life well for you in my house. There's nothing wrong with that. But to Jesus, it paled in light of the fact that she was so cumbered by being a server, she forgot to listen. She forgot that just on the other side, if there was a wall, I don't know what the houses looked like then, but if there was a wall on the other side of the wall from her kitchen, there was a lot of people probably gathered in that house, and Jesus was talking. Can you imagine Jesus was talking and you're fixing supper or lunch, whatever she was doing, peeling potatoes. And she's in there worrying about whether or not she's going to do this right and have enough time to get it done. And Jesus is talking about eternal things. Well, you know, now for you and me, who cares about potatoes? While he's talking, I need to listen. Now, when he quits talking, I'll start fixing supper. If he talks all night, we're going to eat late. Because there's something most important and vital about what he said, so much so that he said, Martha, Martha, time out. Only one thing is necessary. And to all of Christianity and all the churches, anywhere and everywhere, one thing is essential, one thing is vital, one thing is absolutely necessary. What is it? It's what Mary's doing. Well, she's just sitting there. That's exactly right. And she's sitting there with her eyes open, her ears open, and she's feeding on the word. She's letting it come in. She's not sitting there saying, well, this is the same old, same old. I've already heard this before. I've heard him speak a lot of times. Yeah, I've already heard it. She didn't have that attitude. That kind of an attitude means that because you think you already know it all, what you hear goes in one ear and out the other. Or if somebody is not of your persuasion and they're preaching, you don't have to listen to that because they don't know anything. Now, somebody doesn't know anything. Because you see, when God speaks, now whether the Lord is speaking this morning, you have to make that decision. Don't believe anything because I've said it. You judge for yourself. But when God speaks... And that thing in your heart begins to wiggle and squirm. And that begins to move inside of you, getting your attention. Then you need to give heed to that. I'm not the one anybody answers to in eternity, am I? That was weak, but that's true. Mary, on the other hand, Martha being the busy, typical modern Christian, as opposed to Mary, who was a seeker. She wanted to find out what the word of the Lord was. She was a follower of Jesus. She wanted to get it right. And the only one that was right was Jesus, so she wanted to hear what he had to say. Mary was the one the Bible speaks of. If you don't mind, would you turn over to John chapter 12? You're just a book away from it to the right. John chapter 12 and verse 1, 2, 3. And speaking of Mary... What a character she is in the scripture. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been raised from the dead. And there they made supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table. Then Mary took a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Now, it doesn't say that, doesn't have to say everything that happened in one particular section, but 
in our text in Luke chapter 10, I believe this is where that happened. And concerning that, this is what Jesus said about her breaking that box of ointment and wiping his feet and so forth. In Mark chapter 14, I'll read this to you and we'll turn to it, but Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9, listen to these words. Jesus said, well, being at Bethany, the house of Simon the leper, he said at meat, and there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head, and then there was this indignation between Judas and them, and Jesus said in verse 6, let her alone, why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good thing on me, for you have the poor with you always, and whithersoever you will, you may do them good, but me you have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Now listen to this. Verily I say unto you, wherever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of her for a memorial of her. Wherever this gospel is preached in the world, it hadn't even been written in a book yet. It wasn't even recorded yet. And he said, wherever this is written, wherever you read about this, knowing it was going to be written one day, didn't he? And when you read this and you hear about this, you're going to remember this woman named Mary, that she had a heart for God. And she did what she did because of the way she felt about him, being a participant of his death and preparing for a burial. She couldn't be there at it. And the Bible says she's done this in preparation of it. I'm sure it was a very humbling thing, brought a lot of persecution. People didn't understand. We have a regular service, and somebody does something different. And they complained about that, and Jesus said, why are you troubling her? Wherever this gospel is preached to the whole world, this story shall be told as a memorial to her. We're doing that this morning. That's what Jesus said would happen. See, what is necessary, what is vital, what is really necessary means that you put first things first. It's not your family first. It's not your kitchen first. It's not your kids first. It's Jesus first. There can be no other gods, no other devotions to God before him. No other thing gets between you and God. Because the most necessary vital thing in your life is Christ. And yet you know nothing about him until you hear about it. What's more important than hearing the word of God? I don't think everybody this morning, now I'm not able to prove this, but I don't think everybody around our country this morning is hearing the word of God. They've probably heard a verse read, but I'm not convinced everybody's hearing it because there's so little examples of it in our communities. It doesn't seem like a lot of people live this life. It's like they've been to church, but so it's like things they heard which were right had no effect on people. See, it's one thing to listen, but it's something else to hear. Or it's one thing to hear, but something else to listen. What's more important? What did Jesus put above hearing the word of God? How many times does Scripture use the word hearken? I mean, some of the greatest promises in the Bible begin with hearken. If you will diligently hearken unto these words that I speak unto you this day and let them not depart from your heart, but keep them in the midst and so forth, they shall be, it shall become, you shall have. And everything that we want and people are just trying so hard to get today is offered to us and yet it's ignored. Jesus said, if you'll seek first, the kingdom of God, instead of your own way and your own things, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and how you relate to him and his right ways and those right ways become evident in your life, if you will seek that first, all this other stuff will be added to you. Your blessings will come upon you and overtake you. They just know where you are. God says, all right, blessings the pack of plenty plan over here on my right. I want you to go find Saint so-and-so. Saint so-and-so is going down through life at the 55-mile-an-hour limit. Here comes an 80-mile-an-hour blessing. A whop. 
just rolls him down and blesses him. You find yourself being blessed as you go out. You find yourself being blessed as you come in. You find that everything you put your hand to prospers. You find that God even makes your enemies to be at peace with you. They come against you one way and they flee a thousand ways. A thousand fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand. God said, no plague will come near your dwelling. He gives his angels charge concerning you. Imagine. Imagine that. God says, now today, angels, I'm giving you all charge. I want you to go take care of whoever. I don't even want them to dash your foot against a stone today. I want you to bless whatever they do. And here you go through life and you have a good day. You know, these things don't just happen because you're lucky. You didn't just get up on the right side of the bed. Or if your wife's on the right side of the bed, you didn't crawl across the bed to get up this morning. <laughs> Luck and fortune have nothing to do with this. Not everybody believes what I'm saying. But I don't care because I know how it works. The entrance of God's word give light. They illumine. They make you aware of something. They show you what you haven't seen before in a way that only God can show it. And it excites a heart. And the heart begins to say, yes. See, this is what pleases God. It's like, it's like the healing message. You know, our, bore our diseases and carried our pains. And yet people want to argue. Bookstores are full of books that want to argue about healing. Oh, I don't believe God wants to heal everybody. Then why then in all the... Events in three and a half years, how is it that everywhere he went, he never said to anybody, be sick? Why did he never tell anybody, well, God wants you this way? How is it that on three separate occasions, when multitudes came to Jesus, he healed them all? Why? Who's changed all of this to say that not necessarily today? Who said that? In other words, listen to me. What are you hearing? Has somebody put a question mark where God puts a period? Isn't that what the devil did? Hath God said? Oh, are you sure he said that? Now, wait a minute. Maybe you're getting this wrong. I mean, after all, if God wanted you to be blessed, look, look at all the Christians that aren't blessed. Do you think you're better than they are? Oh, you think you're the elite? You see, it has nothing to do with who I am. It has to do with what I believe. It has to do with what I believe. It's one thing to say I believe something, but it's something else to live like you believe something. That's the difference. God is no respecter of persons, is he? Amen. He's not. If he said it, he'll do it. But you've got to be willing to listen. Coming here today is not just to hear what this old fellow's got to say. I ain't as old as you think I am anyway. <laughs> it's not just to hear another sermon. The prayer you should have prayed before you came in this room this morning was, God, open my eyes in some way to behold wondrous things from your law and enable me to understand what you're saying. Because if I hear it, but I don't understand it, then I'm like the Pharisees. Jesus said, why is it that you can't hear my words? Oh, he said, why is it that you do not understand what I'm saying? In John 8. And he said, because you cannot hear my words. Well, they had ears to hear, but they couldn't hear. They had eyes to see, but they couldn't see. God's in control of whether or not you hear the word. You hear me? You can't just casually find yourself a... I'm going to find me a good church. Let me look for one. There's a good I'm going to go into that one. You think going in there will enable you to hear, even though what they're saying is the absolute truth? You think you just get it? Did you know that God can close your ears? That he can open your ears? That God is the one who richly gives us, but he's the giver? I used to think when I was growing up, that one day when I got old, I'd get religious because I want to go to heaven when it was over, wherever that was. 
And I figured, you know, when I got to be, well, I ain't old enough now, but I figured I'd get to be about 80 or 90, I'd get saved. And then I'd go to heaven. And I realized this, that you can't come to the Father when you want to. He has to draw you. No man can come to the Son except the Father draw him. He said in John 15, you didn't choose me. You thought about me. You liked the stories of heaven. You liked all the things you heard about me, but you didn't choose me. I chose you. Only reason there's a hunger in your heart that deep is because God put it there. Now, that hunger is there, but that doesn't mean you're going to feast. Because once you get interested in God, the devil gets interested in distracting you. You got other things to do on Sundays or Wednesdays. More important thing, like making a little more money, is more important than hearing the Word of God. Because money gets you to heaven. I'm being facetious. <laughs> Your money won't get you there. Every opportunity to hear the Word again may be the last opportunity. That be the Lord may come the next day, or you may not be here tomorrow. And every chance we hear, like right now this morning, this is an opportunity. It's a treasure we should seize on the opportunity that God's going to speak to me. Even in this cathedral of tomorrow, that God is going to speak to me. A lady once said to Jesus, she said, Blessed is the womb that bore thee and the breast of which thou hast nursed. She must have been a Catholic because they were trying to praise Mary. My daddy was a Catholic. Jesus turned to that person and he said, Yea, rather. Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. See, it's hearing is good, but keeping it is a choice. You're going to hear things you may not like. There may be some things said to you that you don't appreciate hearing this morning. Well, I'm a Methodist Presbyterian, and I didn't come here to listen to him say that. Well, you're here and you're too nice to leave, so you're going to have to listen. In Hebrews chapter 4, I think it's verse 12, the Bible says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, what's the picture you get? Because words have pictures or they don't mean anything. And if the Bible says the word of God is like a two-edged sword, well, we know what a sword is, and we see the two-edged sword, the top and the bottom, they haven't been in combat, so they're not blunted. They're sharp. The Bible says they are sharp enough that they do something specific, but it's spiritual in nature. They divide asunder. That means separate the Word of God. Separates what? It divides asunder between what is flesh, selfish, and you and me and my way and my problems and my time. I don't have time. It divides between that part of you and the spiritual part of you, the part where true hunger ought to be as opposed to where your will and your other hunger shouldn't be. But the Word of God locates you. That's why we get stirred up. That's why we get bothered sometimes when we hear things in the Word because somehow your heart knows that what you heard is true, but you don't want to believe it. I don't want that to have to be something that I have to do. We got no choice. If God said, this is the way, there is no other, then that's the only choice we got. It's either a broad way with plenty of company, lots of fun, many programs, and a whoo-wee, or a narrow way, which is a whoo-wee. One is full of comfort and happiness, and the other one is, is difficult. Even Jesus said it was. Peter writes that with difficulty, the righteous are saved. The way that leads to life, Jesus said, is narrow. Only a few will be able to enter. He said, many will seek. Many will seek, but they won't make it. So we want you to make it. But the word of God comes in and locates us in our lazy, self-serving life. And the preacher, you know, you think he, he knew you were coming. Somebody gave him an outline of your life. And so while you're out there, he's reading your life. That isn't true. 
We're here because we want God to locate us. I don't mind you telling me how selfish and lazy I am. If it's true, I want that to be a conviction. Because if it's a conviction, I'll do something about it. But if I've learned to bypass convictions and make excuses, then it doesn't matter what you say. I've got a hard heart. My conscience is seared. I've been to church 35 years. How many years have you been to church, preacher? You haven't been out of school, but three. That's, that's what they taught me in seminary anyway. In Moorhead <laughs> Seminary. But this is the life we live. God gives us the word. He said it's living and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it's able to divide and separate. What do you say in Jeremiah 23 about the word? It's like a hammer. It breaks in pieces. People love that. People love a Sunday morning hammer hour. Yeah. Oh, drop the hammer, Lord, on us today. Make us be scattered out and, you know, whatever. But the word is a hammer. Do you think God leaves us alone? How do you know you're alone unless God doesn't tell you you're alone? How do you know you're lazy unless God shows you you're lazy? How do you know you're dragging your feet unless God shows you you're dragging your feet? Jesus said specifically when the Holy Spirit came, he comes to guide you into all the truth. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will take the things of mine and show them to you. They're not always convenient. Sometimes they hurt. It's like a hammer. Oh, man. How many times have I spoken about modesty? And some of the young ladies had a hissy fit. Because you talked about modesty. Well, if I want to show, well, now wait a minute. See, there's things you hear you don't want to hear. There's things that people are told they don't want to be told. You talk about getting out of debt, and people just, oh, I, I, well, you know about it. Well, enough. Enough. I can read. I did get through Mrs. Urban's third grade class over in Charlestown where I grew up. I learned to read. Took me three years, but I learned. <laughs> I did learn that. How many people have become dull of hearing? Many of you were Baptists. I've been a good Baptist my whole life. Methodist. Bonnie was Presbyterian. And I was in a Christian church. My daddy was a Catholic. He never heard anything except Latin. Didn't know what they were talking about. He must have been talking in tongues when he was in the Catholic Church because he didn't know what they were talking about. All that dominoes and biscuits that they said. <laughs> he, they didn't know any better. He reached the end of his life not knowing what to do. I remember the last days of my daddy's life. That church robbed that man all of his 60-some years he lived. He didn't live long. Died way too early. Didn't know how to cope with anything in his life because he never heard anything. All he ever heard was about stuff. Man was robbed. They cheated him out of his life. Thank God it was a Baptist preacher. They led him out in the hallway in the hospital. Led him to the Lord a week or so before he died. Brother Walters. Praise God for that. All them people in all the country, there was one man that cared enough about him to talk to him about his soul, but he didn't know anything about anything. He told me once his church told him that he wasn't supposed to even read the Bible because he might get it wrong, and that would be a mortal sin. So the best thing he could do was just don't read the Bible at all. That's the devil. But Jesus said, if you get dull of hearing... You'll find yourself justifying your sins, justifying your indifference, justifying your opinions, justifying your attitudes. You can dress and talk and wear and fool around and make excuses for it, and you're all right. Your heart is as hard as a rock. And God's word is like a hammer that's designed to break that thing. And if you'll keep listening, and you won't cut and run, He'll finally break it, but you're going to have to want that. You know what he said in John 12 about the word? He said, in the last days, there's one thing that will judge you, all of us. It's the word of God. The word I have spoken, 
stands before us. It's what we have to measure ourselves by. It'll be the plumb line of God is the word of God. This was a way I told you. Have you lived this way? Well, I, I, I didn't have time. Who told you you didn't have time? Your friends or yourself? God never told you that. If you didn't have time, he wouldn't have showed it to you. No, we live by choices. There's not a soul in this room that doesn't live by choices. And what all of us are right now is the result of what we have chosen in our lifetime. We've chosen to be the way we are, to act the way we are, to react the way we react, to dress, talk, be, live. The way we are are choices. And that's what faith and love is. It's a choice. Nobody makes me love the Lord. I have to choose that. Now, he gives it to me, but I have to make that choice. Faith is a choice. I choose to count on God to do what he said. My faith doesn't make the word true. The word is true whether I believe it or not. But my faith is a choice that I make to set myself in agreement with God that if he said it, it is so. I believe it for myself, and then I get persecuted for it. Well, you don't look any better. You don't sound any better. He didn't say in here, once you pray, you'll look better. Once you pray, you'll sound better. Once you pray, everybody will throw their Bibles in the air, take off, run, and go, woo! doesn't say that. It just says, when you pray, believe. Now, the manifestation comes on his terms. All I got to do, I got the easy part. All I got to do is believe. But I learned this from listening to somebody. Nobody made me believe. I can't make you believe. I can tell you why to believe and what the Bible says about believing, but that's a choice you'll have to make. Because at some point in your life, you'll have to say concerning money, your marriage, Spiritual things, your possession, whatever you have that need fixing and you can't fix it, you're going to have to ask God to help you. You're going to have to come to the point where when I pray, I'm going to believe that what God said is true. There's no evidence of his truth. Have any of you ever seen the Lamb's Book of Life? Beautiful book. Have you ever seen it? Oh, man, it's a beautiful book. Have you ever seen it? Neither have I. How do you know there is a book? The Bible says so. They tell me this Bible here, this King James Bible that's on this pulpit with the nice large print. They say it's been copied so many times and no original copies. No original copy exists, but it's been burned and thrown away and Recopied and recopied and recopied and scholarly people, that means smart people, tell us today that it couldn't be accurate. It contains the Word of God. Some portions of it are the Word of God, but obviously a lot of it is man. So we don't know what part is of God and what part is of man. Now, this is called liberalism. These are the people who goes in one ear and out the other. So they say, well, so now, preacher. They're talking to me now, Preacher. How do you know the Bible's true? I don't. I cannot prove it, nor do I have to. I only believe it. If I'm wrong, I'm honestly wrong. My integrity is intact. I take this to be God's word. And if God said it, then that's what I must do. And the only way I know that I believe it is if it says it, I do it. But it all starts... It all starts with me being willing to listen to it. I grew up in church, grew up in two churches, the Catholic and the Protestant, the protesters and the Catholics. And my mother was a Christian church where we sang hymns. And that's about all they did. But we sang hymns and had Sunday school. And I never paid any attention to this word. When I got saved, June 30th, 1968, five minutes to 12, when I got saved, when I was born again, everything changed. I didn't see a lot of doves flying, the white ones. I heard no band playing, no cymbals clanging. 
No prophet walked into my life, bug-eyed, that prophesied to me. I just woke up the next morning, July the 1st. I just woke up that morning and wanted to read the Bible. I remember that. The only Bible I had was a 1947 vacation Bible school presentation Bible. And I was a little embarrassed at that being the only Bible I had. I went and borrowed my preacher's Bible. He had a Schofield Bible. He left that day after I got his Bible. He left for two weeks vacation, left a wild man in his church. And the only man I could go talk to was Brother Port out at the Baptist church. You know, he knew I was a basketball coach. He didn't know I was saved. I said, Brother Port, can I talk to you? He said, yeah, come in. How are you doing? I said, I got saved. Well, you know, to a Baptist, that's like, let's, let's go, buddy. So I started asking questions. He talked to me. He knew stuff I wanted to know. And very helpful to me. I began reading that Schofield Bible. I had all those footnotes. I didn't know they weren't anointed. They was good enough, though. I had to help me. And I believed all. I quoted him. I said, the Bible says on the bottom page it says. And I'd read it all night till I had, had to go to school the next morning. See these bags? That's where they came from. The white hair came from you all, but the bag came from somewhere else. It was just... The joy of it all, reading this, and, and the preacher, when, when he finally came back, he said, when I came back from two-week vacation, he said, I had a wild bunch in my church. All they want to do is talk about God, sing them over, again, wonderful words of life, and it couldn't get enough of it. Anybody got a tape? I don't care who they are. I didn't know any better than, give me, I want to listen to something. I got too many questions. I'd write all these questions down, and I'd read, and, and there wasn't enough time to get all that. Now, why do we have to sleep? Oh, man. And the preacher, one time, he came back, and he was doing good, and we broke the ice in that old Christian church. An event happened that day that had never happened in that church before. I said, Amen. I mustered up a lot of courage, but I said it, <clears throat> amen. <laughs> you know, who was that? Was that Tommy? See, when you grow up in a town, you're Tommy. And everything just began to change. It was like something had been let loose that didn't want to be corralled again. It was like something had found its freedom. And the freedom was enhanced by what the word of God said. And you would read it and you knew it was true. Oh, it was wonderful. And then the work of the gospel began. This is why Jesus said it's necessary, because the word of God begins to do something in you. Like it not only cuts, it not only hammers, it not only judges, but it cleanses. John 53 said, now you're clean through the word that I've spoken to you. What if I told you today that what I'm saying to you is designed to cleanse us? But it won't just cleanse you. You got to give what to it? Heed. My job is easy. All I have to do is tell you what I believe this morning and tell you what I believe the Lord shows me. I'm done. I go home knowing that, that what I said I believe. As far as I know, I live. Now, it's up to you now. As a man said to me years ago, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes. Well, they're not bad. He said, you got to give an account for all them things you said, like the Bible says. Greater judgment on the teachers. And I said, well, that's true. And I said, you got to give an account for everything you've heard. And you know, I never saw him again. To this day, I never saw him again. That was offensive to him. I have to give an account for what I say, but I said, well, you have to give an account for what you've heard too. The Bible says, take heed what you hear. Take heed how you hear it. One of the problems in the church today is Isaiah 8.20. Let me just share this with you. The Bible said, if they speak not according to this word. Now, what word was he talking about? Well, the word that God inspired and the word that God gave him. He said, if they speak not according to this word, he said, they have no light. Now, if what we hear 
we editorially, if we're in a church where what we're hearing is not so much the Bible or the biblical way, but adding biblical flavor to modern movements, what happens to us? Darkness comes. And in darkness, you can't discern between your right hand and your left hand anymore. You know, the only way we can avoid deception and error is by knowing the word. This is the only hope we have. If you water that down, if you modify that, if you make it a Methodist word or a Presbyterian word, a Baptist word, if you make it slanted like that, it no longer does what it said it would do. He said, if they speak not according to this word, he said, they have no light. And Jesus said about the Pharisees. You know what Jesus said about the Pharisees? He said, leave them alone. They're not the object of evangelism. Excuse me. That's what he said. He said, leave them alone. They are the blind who lead the blind. And here's what he said about the Pharisees, and I think it's a picture of end-time Christianity. He said, they can pass the whole world to make a proselyte. They spend great sums of money to bring people into their system. And when they are done with them, Jesus said, these people are twice as much a child of hell as they are. Those are strong words. You won't sell a lot of tapes talking like that. There's no evening news wanting to listen to you talking like that. But that's what he said. He said, leave them alone. But we're supposed to go and love all of these people. That isn't what he said. Love, right. Yeah, you should. But he said, you got to make a distinction here. Amen. God puts a premium on this word. And when you're offended by it, as they were in John 6, he said, does this offend you? The words he spoke? You know what Peter's answer was? That's the only word we got. Will you go with them, Peter? said, we don't have any place to go. You only have the words of life. In John 1, he said, life and light are synonymous because the word is a lamp into my path, and it's the only way I can tell in this life where I'm going. If I don't have the word guiding me, I have a system of religion that guides me. I'm following a man. I'm following like Paul warned about, about in the last days, evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. And men will give heed to fables and turn away their ears from the truth. You remember that? And they'll no longer desire the word of God and to walk his way. But they do desire a religious setting where there is comfort and happiness. Make people happy. Make them comfortable. Get you an eloquent preacher that makes everybody just feel so good and feel so comfortable. They love it. Long as you don't draw that sword and begin to pierce those sinful hearts. Long as you don't mess with their attitudes and their Sorry ways and their girlfriends and their adulterous occasions. As long as you don't touch that stuff, you're all right. And if you don't touch that stuff, when they get to the end of their life, guess what? I never knew you. What a wretched and terrible thing to hear at the end when you can do nothing about it. I never knew you. So while we're here, let us give the more earnest heed to what we're hearing. People like the spectacular end-time age, the great presentations, the church of 30,000. How would you know everybody's name if you were a pastor of a church of 30,000? I have trouble with the 50 or 60 of you that are here today, let alone 30,000. 30,000, how would I know their names? 30,000. People like that because you can get lost in that church. You can live it most any way you want to and nobody catch you. You see, you can't do that in a little church like this. You get caught. And so forth. Jesus said that the thing that he wants from us is for us to be hearers of his word. James added doers to it. Because 
If I'm not here to listen this morning, if something else was more important, and I'm not here to hear the Word of God, then something in my life is more important than hearing the Word. What if I told you this morning that before you get here, this should be such an important occasion that you should pray about how you hear the Word this morning? God, give me a heart to hear what you're saying. And then give me a heart of courage to do what you said. Don't let me just hear it and not do it, but let me hear it and live this life. People like the modern movements. They do. They like the shine and the polish and the finish and the fact that they're in a large group. Here's what Ezekiel said. Let me read for you in Ezekiel what God said. Ezekiel 33, 31, he said, And they come unto you as people come, and they sit before you as my people. And they hear thy words, but they will not do them. Did you hear me? Oh, they come from afar to hear you. Oh, boy, let's go to that. Yeah, let's go hear him. He said, they hear thy words, but they will not do them. Notice this. For with their mouth, they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. I've told this to the local folks here. I've repeated all my stories in the, in the 80 years I've been here, but... I was in Australia once preaching, and I had a great introduction. They were introducing me that night. I thought, who is this? I mean, I thought, my, I must have got my wings back. You know, the backbiters bit my wings. I must have got my wings back. Man, I'm coming in here. Woo! And then they made all these glowing remarks about me. I thought, man, oh, man. Then as soon as I got up there to preach, they went to the back, and after a few introductory remarks, they got out and went to the coffee shop. Well, so much for the big introduction and so much for the, whoa, y'all need to hear this, man. Well, they didn't. I'm not saying it because, oh, who wouldn't listen to me? Well, there's a lot of people that don't. <laughs> All I'm saying is if you're going to talk like that about anybody, you wouldn't drink a cup of coffee ever in your life before you'd listen to somebody like that. If they just said, here's a guy from Kentucky, wherever that is and in Australia, and he's going to talk to us a while. Come on up, brother. Fine. Then you go drink your coffee. So, I, you know, I didn't have any more tact in me than the next morning to say something about that. I didn't. I, I, that's why I got sent to principal's office so much when I was in high school. So I said, now, these men who said so much about me last night, they've all just gone into the coffee shop. Everybody kind of turned around and looked, and they were all gone. But see, here's the deal. There's nothing wrong with being honest. I desire honest friends. One person that could never be my friend very long is somebody that lied to me. It doesn't have to tell me everything you know. Don't describe everything about me you don't like. You don't have to do that because you'd be busy all day long following me around. But I don't like for people to lie to me or mislead me or, or deceive me. And neither does God. Because you see, he said, they come before you, they hear your words, they don't want to hear it. I was in Cleveland, Ohio years ago, back when my hair was brown. They asked me to come and do a seminar on faith, how faith works, what it does, and so forth. I'd be glad to, because I was familiar with that. I knew that. And the first night there was a crowd, oh, half as big as the center section here, and then I taught on faith. And the next night, it was this little group right here. And on the third night, there was this front row. They didn't want to hear it. See, they determined in their heart that whatever I was talking about on how we relate to God, and the only way you can relate to God is by faith. You can't see him. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he must also believe that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. Well, I taught that. Isn't that all right? They didn't like that, so they didn't come back. But that's church. That's true right now today. There are multitudes of people in which there are church hoppers, cruise whatever you want to call them, 
They go look for a little church they can sit in that they talk the way they like to talk, listen the way they want to listen, and nobody's going to bother them. And they can come and go if they please and if they want to. You know, they're not like us and shaking that money bag in front of you all dirty. You know, come give, give. We don't, you know, like we do. But there's just multitudes of people that don't want to hear it. If he's going to teach on the holidays, I'm not coming. I've already predetermined what of God I will listen to and what of God I will not. And if whatever God has to say is going to interfere with my preconceived way I ought to live, I ain't going to listen to it. You're going to be real disappointed when you die too. Because the one thing you've got to do in this life is surrender it all. And somebody needs to tell us that. How many of y'all know I ain't mad at anybody? Well, that's a weak laugh, but I'll accept that. All right. Let's go back to Luke 10. I'm going to close with this. Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha. You know, if he repeats your name in the Bible, you're in trouble. Simon, Simon. Martha, Martha. How many times? Tom, Tom. <laughs> Tom, Tom. Oh, God. What have I done? He said, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. You know what the word careful means? Jesus used it four or five times in Matthew 6 when he said, take no thought. That's what careful means. It means to be worried about. Things that we would call stress, things that lead to stress, the kind of attention. You're just troubled about so many things. You're not even listening to the Word of God. The answer to your peculiar problems on the other side of that wall, the one preaching in there is God in a human body, and he's talking, and you're not listening. And he said, you are troubled about so many things. Another way it's used is in Philippians 4, 6, he said, be careful for nothing. Remember that? But in all things, prepare and supplication with thanksgiving, make his request known to God, blah, blah, blah. He said, be careful for nothing. What if I told you all this morning in closing, we're not supposed to worry about anything. But what about the economy? What about the economy? It was here yesterday, wasn't it? I bet you it'll be here tomorrow. You know who's in charge? God. What about the cost of living? Gasoline, milk, and potatoes. What about it? You think that's too much for God to supply your need? You think you're going to go under this time? I remember 1973 when gas went from 25 cents to 50 cents and the world nearly came undone. 50 cents a gallon, oh my! I remember the night down in Lexington, Kentucky, a man came up to me. He was apparently a businessman, had a business. And he said, I don't want you to worry about that gas. And he handed me four credit cards for his company. Not one. Four credit cards from all the different stations. You know, I'm not good at receiving. I've received my whole life, and that's it. kind of embarrassing to me. You know, I'm like, I don't need nothing. You know, but he gave I said, I, I said, hi, hi. He said, just take them. One morning, a lady called me and wanted to know how much an airplane was back in the whenever, in the 80s. I was wanting to get an airplane. I guess that was the fad. <laughs> you know, an airplane. <laughs> well, I looked around and found one I wanted. It was a decent price. I thought maybe if it this or that, could, you know, I could maybe... A lady called me, how much is that airplane you want? And I knew what she meant. Because I learned later this lady could have bought the airport. <laughs> and I wouldn't tell her. And she said, well, would a certain amount of money help you? And I never had that much money in my life. I, uh, well, uh, she said, would it or not? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, if that's what you want to do. I told Bonnie about it afterwards. She said, give me the phone next time. I'll talk <laughs> she said, <laughs> she said, I'll talk to her. Yeah, send it. <laughs> Woman, you better behave. Amen. 
God doesn't want us to be troubled in our minds, worrying about tomorrow, worrying about our lives, worrying about our bodies. We've been bought with a price. We didn't belong to ourselves. We belong to God. Our life is in his hands. You willingly put yourself there when you were born again. He's so familiar with you. He said, I have graven you on the palms of my hand. A suckling mother could sooner forget her children than I could forget you. I will take care of you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you all the days of your life. And he has all these benefits to it. He said in Psalm 103, all these benefits. And why should we then worry or be stressed or careful about anything? When the word of God is being preached, go for it. Let me close with this other story. One time down in, in the mountains of Kentucky, in the Church of Christ, they'd asked me to come down and speak. And one night I was going to give an invitation. I said, would you all bow your heads and close your eyes? When I did, the musicians got out of their seat that came up front to lead. That bothered me. I thought, now they've exempted themselves from conviction. They're more interested in the music than they are what God is doing. That's the way I was thinking. That's how narrow I am. So the next night, I let them do that. I didn't say anything about it. So the next night, I said, now, I want everybody to bow their head and close their eyes, and every musician to stay in his seat. I said, what God has to say, he has as much to say to you boys as he does anybody else. So I don't want you up here tonight. I don't want anybody up here singing. We don't have to sing to get saved. But I want you to think about what you heard. I want you to make it real personal. I want you to let the word deal with your life, deal with your heart, to locate you like a two-edged sword. I want you to put yourself in the light of God's word and ask yourself, is this for me? Am I missing it somewhere? Have I willingly turned my back on something? What are you saying to me? You let God deal with you. And they did. And he did. Martha, Mary has chosen to do something that will affect her life with something very divine. It'd be a living word, just like a living Christ. And when he's in there, he's not going anywhere. He's going to stay in there all the days of your life. Amen. Amen. You hold fast. Because when Christ pointed his finger at you and brought you out of that miry clay and set your feet upon a rock and established your going, and he made you his, you're his. And nobody is going to take you out of his hand. Amen. Would you bow your head? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, this morning, I would ask that you would deal with our hearts, each and all of us, how we live, how we think, how we do, how we deal, our routines, what's first, what's prominent in our life. My desire, Lord, is for the most important, necessary, vital, and essential thing would come first to all these people. And that's as Christians to hear the words of the Lord. Now grant, O oh God, that wherever all of us are from, that they would hear that word, that their preacher would be compelled to preach it. That in his study, the words, the right words would come to his mind to feed his sheep. That they would not stumble through life and be meat for the wolves, but they might be protected and kept, enlightened by your word to know right and wrong and be able to escape the snares that this world lays for them. I do ask you to bless us all this morning with wonderful godly conviction that we would do what's right in this life. And at the end of it, to hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of thy Lord. Let it be so with us, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? God is good. Amen. Amen. There is a song I request this morning. It's a wonderful hymn, one that should always live in our hearts. All hail the power of Jesus' name. I know you know that. Let's sing. Praise the Lord. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels.
strength. 